everybody. Welcome to another Bald Move Prestige movie edition. Today, we're going to be talking about a great film, 1961's The Hustler. It was directed by Robert Rosen, uh, written by Sidney Carroll and Robert Rosen. Oh, yeah, Robert Rosen. He's <laughs> a writer, 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 uh, a director in this one, mm-hmm. starring the late, great Paul Newman, Jackie Gleason, Piper Laurie, and uh, not quite introducing, but I think this is only his third film role, George C. Scott. Um, yeah, you might know him so, from such things as Dr. Strangelove. Yep. And Patton. Dr. Strangelove. Okay. Yeah, I haven't seen that. <laughs> Uh, Jackie Gleason, of course, you know, uh, I don't I, th- I don't think Paul Newman needs any introduction, yeah. but Jackie Gleason, of course, uh, famous for The Honeymooners, um, classic 1950s sitcom. And uh, Piper Laura, I don't I, I, I you know, I didn't didn't look up her roles. I should have because this these are the times where people need it. You know, no one needs to know what films Ewan McGregor has been in. But like Piper Laura, I, I did you dirty. I'm so sorry. Mm. Um, so I had never seen this film before. It's a black and white, but it probably stylistic reasons. I mean, obviously you could film in yeah. Tuttenacolor back then. Uh, but it's it's a black and white film. It's about a pool shark that goes around and and uh, plays plays pool for money. And when he's not hustle. doing that, he's he's hustling hustling uh, uh, marks out of their hard won pool do- pool dollars. Yeah, um, pool bucks. It's funny because like when you said that you liked this film. Because I, you know, I've known you for a long time, and I know you're pretty resistant to like watching "quote unquote" old films. And I see this, and it's like, you know, the uh, the opening scenes are like, uh, and I, I remember watching the first five or ten minutes, and I'm like, this is a black and white film. It's kind of like right there at the ragged edge before like method acted method acting really took over Hollywood. So there's a lot of yeah. like very stagey performances, and like, but you, the the cinematography is pretty inventive mm-hmm. and. Uh, the shots are pretty creative, but uh, and the, I could say, definitely see the dialogue. But I'm like, is it the is it the pool? Because I know that you like to play pool. Um, like, okay, what is it about this film that Jim likes? But then, like, 15, 20 minutes, I was just completely engrossed. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of like minor league obsessed with this film. I want to watch it again. I want to get their Criterion edition. I want to listen to a bunch of commentaries. I want to read a bunch of more reviews. Um. Tell me about what, how did you come to watch this fucking film and what sucked you in about it? Uh, so my brother recommended this to me and I don't know how he came to be such a big fan of Paul Newman specifically. Um, but at one point he had seen like basically every movie that Paul Newman had been in. Um, and, and I had seen The Sting uh, with, you know, Robert Redford and Paul sure. Newman. And right. that's just fantastic. That movie is so good. Um and so when he recommended this to me and said, hey, Paul Newman's in this and it's about pool, I was like, OK, awesome. I actually grew up w- around a lot of people who played pool. Um, we had a pool table mm-hmm. in one of our houses where we lived for years in the basement, and I got pretty the good at first, pool. The first time I met you, when your dad invited me to his house, uh, you were in the basement with your brother wearing roller skates, going around yeah. the pool table, sinking crazy shots as like what as like a 10 11 year old yeah for uh, sure 12 year old yeah it was uh, that's that's so yeah i guess this tracks now that i think about it we used to play a game where we would skip roller skate because the whole floor was tile down there and so sure we actually was linoleum uh we had roller skate around the pool table and the rule was you had to take the shot before the cue ball stopped moving um (laughs) 
<laughs> and you're on roller skates, so like we're you know level of difficulty. Mobile, there. mobile Gundam speed pool is what you're playing down there, <laughs> right? So I was a big fan of pool. Um, my uncle, in fact, was actually very good at pool. He had uh, he lived a bizarre life, um, but at one point, his in his family home of, with his wife and two children had a pool table in his living room, uh, just taking up the whole damn thing. And they tolerated it. And he was really good, like tor- tournament level kind of pool player. Not, you know, he was no Willie Moscone, but he was quite good. No Minnesota Fats. No, no Minnesota Fats, no Fast Eddie, um, but still very good. Uh, and so, you know, when Paul Newman and pool collide, that's kind of like a pretty good intersection for me. Um, and so I watched it and I just kind of fell in love with the world they created. And I don't know how like accurate. Uh, the depiction of a pool player's life. Um, sure. Although the the basic concept, the hustling aspect of a pool player, um, right? I, I think is the thing that gives it more of a seedy sort of, you know, forbidden tone to the whole thing. Whereas if it was just a tournament pool player who was uh, kind of a straight up pool player, it wouldn't have nearly the same sort of draw for me. I like the dirty sort of, underhanded corrupt world that they're playing in sure yeah um and i I think Uh, this movie was kind of a a defining movie for the pool scene uh of that entire generation and kind of oh i can imagine lingers to this day I, i will say i you know it's the title of the this stream that we're doing but it's probably the greatest pool movie ever made and that's part of what drew me to it because there weren't a lot of pool movies that i could even think of like I, I'm struggling to think of one other than The Color of Money, which is just the sequel to The Hustler. Didn't Vince Vaughn make a, a movie that was kind of about playing pool? Like I feel like that sounds right. Yeah, so there's because I, I I have seen another pool movie besides this one, um, hmm. but I had no idea that the The Hustler and Color of Money were like sequels either. Now I really want to see The Color yeah. of Money. So The Color of Money, um, Paul Newman's in that as like uh, Tom Cruise's manager trainer whatever you know uh george c scott kind of is in this but he's the same character fast eddie felson huh that's cool um yeah i i i had a like when in my like teenage years kind of like developed a love of pool because one of um the local elders uh you know we the witnesses typically attend three uh, uh bible meetings you know christian meetings a week and one of them would uh, happen in people's homes it's called the bible study yeah and uh the the person was hosting in in my neighborhood was this elder who had a pretty nice house and he had a big pool table in his basement can, can and, we call him uh, the horse can we call him the horse because I feel yeah, like every good pool elder. player needs a good nickname, like Fats or the horse. Fast Daddy. Yeah, Fast, Fast Larry the Horse. Uh, and he intimated that he was a baby, a bit of a hustler, because he he's a, a, a bit of a ne'er-do-well in his youth. He converted late in life to the witness, uh, uh, and he had a lot of pictures of him, like, uh, you know, skin-tight T-shirt, cigarette rolled up into his sleeve with a pool <laughs> stick in his hand. And he could shoot straight pool, baby. Uh, and he, he taught, like, I, like, he taught me the basics of the game. Cause like, you know, uh, anybody want to stay afterwards for an hour or two and kind of hang out? Uh, that's how, where I learned my love of country music. Uh, I learned the, the shoot pool at a not very proficient, but you know, I don't embarrass myself level. Um, so I have a lot of fond memories of spending a lot of time, uh, around a pool table myself. Um, and the, 
the pool in this movie is actually really excellent. Yeah. Um, I was shocked at how in my research, uh, my first question is like, Paul Newman can really, you know, shoot pool. And he, I mean, he's got some, like, I think above average shots that he sinks. Of course, you can do take after take, but I guess Jackie Gleason was actually kind of a pro level player himself. Yeah. And then they had as a technical consultant and for insert shots, a legit pool pro the do like cuz there's a, some just ridiculous shit like the things yeah. where a, a ball jumps over another ball and then spins backwards to come and knock something in the the corner pocket um and i don't think either one of the, that was the, handled by the pool professional it's but a, there's a lot of yeah. wide shots of gleason and newman just sinking pretty pretty tough shots yeah uh, i think that in was sequence too that was one of the things um that the director you know kind of leaned on um is jackie gleason's ability at pool um he he gave him a lot of wide shots where you'd see the table and him and shooting that the the dirty secret about pool is that it's all angles um yeah and if you can hit a ball straight and you can hit a point on a rail that like the pool pro tells you to hit your trick shot will work you know um Mm -hmm. so i i feel Mm -hmm. like paul newman in a lot of those shots because he does he actually hits a really excellent shot um, where he calls a one ball in a corner pocket and he just nails it. And it's in this group mm-hmm. of this cluster of other balls and it, it's a really, really hard shot. But I'm sure the pool pro was just like, looks at it, says, hit this spot right here. And Paul yeah, Newman, yeah. you know, having trained uh, to hit the ball straight, is able to hit that shot. Uh-huh. And if you can, if it takes you 10, 10 shots to do it, it's like not like there. Right. You know, there's a lot. There's actually a lot of pool in this, but uh-huh. not enough to where you know if it took someone twenty shots to make it, then you got probably the the time and the schedule to do it. Um, yeah. But th- I think that helps a lot because the other thing is I don't think because um, I, I also there's very many different ways to play pool. You know, they're playing like straight pool, nine ball, uh, mm-hmm. billiards. I don't know the diff- the intricacies of any of those games. Um, I usually played eight ball when I was playing, which is yeah. kind of like the the beginner ball. Uh, eight, but you don't really need to. You don't really need to understand how the fuck to play pool to or to understand this movie because it, in, in much the same way that like uh, searching for Bobby Fischer does not require you to understand how to play chess. Yeah. Um. It's just the backdrop to tell this morality play of mm-hmm. a man that is obsessed with being a winner to the extent that it makes him a loser. And and I, I was always you know speaking about all about the angles like the first twenty minutes of this movie was me trying to figure out the film's angle because it starts with like a small time hustle with Paul Newman's uh, character and his like mentor his manager his straight man that enables him to do some of these these these, these confidence because a lot of this the hustling part of it is just confidence you know yeah. scams like oh yeah we're just in town for an insurance salesman convention and my buddy here's got the he's the, the salesman of the year and he's going to get a big commission check and oh he's been drinking a lot and oh you just spent your last four months of commissions Eddie you're in trouble I can't watch this we got to get out of here and then the local pool sharks like start smelling blood in the water and you you take him for some money and, and you run and mm-hmm. they make it a point of like you know Paul Newman so good looking so charismatic so good at that aspect of it that he gets himself into trouble so yeah. then in the second when when you we first meet uh, Minnesota Fats and he's wanting to win ten grand off of him and then he loses end up losing eighteen I'm like is this like is this so is this like going to be like some multi stage hustle though he's like 
doing this act to take him for a hundred thousand or something. But no, that's not what it is. It's yeah. like he has this fatal, fatal flaw. He's a he's got no character. He's a loser. Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, it, it's it's something missing inside him. It's 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 a lot like watching an addict, honestly. Um, yeah. I, I I think some of the best movies um are movies that say something about the human experience and I this movie very much is a question of what is what are you going to do with your life you know what is what is what is it that makes somebody a winner versus a loser um because you there are a lot of characters in here who look like winners who by the end of the film come out looking like losers um George C Scott's character Burt Gordon is the probably the prime example um you think he's a winner because he's very wealthy. Um, he has, you know, a, a keen understanding of humans and how to control and manipulate them. But by the end of the movie, you see that that is so incredibly hollow um, when it comes to the lessons that, you know, Paul Newman's character, Fast Eddie, learns over the course of the film. Yeah, and he's he he blames it all on, you know, character. Like, that's what makes a winner a loser. But then you find out that he has... You know where it counts zero character. He's completely yeah. amoral, um, and and what kind of life does that lead him? Yeah, that's boy. I tell you, um, I don't want to spoil the film too much because I imagine there's a lot of people out here to have not seen it. Um, mm-hmm. And again, like if you're the type of person that hates like old timey movies that are slow pace, etc., fully know that this is coming from, uh, as recommended from a man who typically feels that same way. I feel you. And and it just it just really works. And uh, the core performances are like I think George C. Scott is amazing. I think Paul Newman is again. There's a couple things that very much feel stagey, like the previous Mm -hmm. era of Hollywood. There's there's still some you can. And but I think that transition is kind of fascinating. And some things he does where he's just like hanging out with uh, Sarah, uh, the Piper Laurie character. Uh, where he's just effortlessly embodying this character, mm-hmm. um, and he's just so so cool and so good. Um, it's and, it's it's a lot of fun to watch. And that performance from Jackie Gleason is understated. Like he doesn't have a huge role in this, despite being um, you know one of the only one of like four characters in the entire movie who is actually a character. Mm-hmm. Uh, has a speaking role. Yeah, he has a lot of screen time, but he doesn't. He doesn't do much speaking. Um, he's much more like this calm, cool, collected presence through the film. But you feel like there, there's a sadness in there. There's a very yes. serious um, and intimidating presence from him at times. And uh-huh. and it's all conveyed via looks and, and movement. And there's not much in the Body way of dialogue. Language, yeah. There's a an early scene where you know Paul Newman meets Minnesota Fats for the first time, and you're watching Jackie Gleason play, and he's kind of narrating, like, "Look at this fat man. Yeah. He moves like a ballerina, and he's like at the fluid grace, not a way." And you can see it in his performance, like you know, it doesn't help or it doesn't hurt that Jackie Gleason's very talented at pool, but just the way he's working around his table methodically, sinking shot, and that's I think one of the, you know. uh that's the psychology of pool that I think is interesting. The fact that like when you're running a table and the other guy can do nothing, literally like as long as if you don't miss your shot, the other guy doesn't get to play at all. Yeah. I mean, you could win $18,000 off them having never given them a shot. Like the way that straight pool works. 
Yeah, and it's like uh, fundamentally unfair. It's like imagine a basketball game where you hit your first shot and you just keep, as long as you can keep making them, yeah. uh, the other person just has to sit and hope for you to fuck up a shot. Um, and the psychology into like the, 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 the kind of shit talking that they do and like the, it, it's like watching high, it's got all the excitement of like high stakes poker, except for the game is infinitely more interesting, I think. Um, yeah. And there's also like this, the, you know, it's partially down to this movie and the hustler life, but like there's this dirty aspect to it, but there's also this very respectful attitude that all the pool players have too, which is yeah. strange. It's it's a weird blend. If like, if if there were something dirty about like tennis, right, where everybody's just right or golf, yeah, 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 like yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's it's a weird life, a weird thing, a lot of drinking, a lot of smoking. Well, it's like when he walks into Ames Pool Hall, which I understand is like an actual real life kind of like her back in the day mecca. Hmm. Um, and he walks in and is like, "This is like uh, this is like church. It is something kind of holy and sacred." And all the players, even though. They're all trying to scam each other. There is something about the, like the purity and the sanctity of the competition that they do respect. Yeah, but I feel like it's it's like church in the same way that like, yeah, God's there, but also there are the horny teenage girls who are there. It's like this right. blend of sacred and really just Profane. raunchy. Yeah. Um, and the, it's embodied like when he goes into, uh, he's like, uh, so is this this is just a pool hall, and the guy. At the, you know, the, I don't know, cashier table that's all fenced in. There's a giant sign that says no gambling, too. Yeah. Even though that's the only thing that happens here. And he's like, there's no bar, no pinball, no bowling. It's just pool. This is Ames, mister. Like, there's, (laughs) which I, that's the other thing. Like, I, the primary reason I love these old, older films is when you get to see that, like, that, that dialogue that crackles, you know? And there's a Mm -hmm. lot of that stuff, like, um, when, uh, uh, you know, Fats, uh, Minnesota Fats is kind of like prospect hunter. Um, maybe he's his manager or bankroller, uh, like is sizing up Paul Newman's Fast Eddie. And he's like, uh, you want some free advice? And Paul Newman's manager comes back. Oh, how much will it cost us? Yeah. Like, that's, um, that's, that's, that's <laughs> just a really, there's, and there's so many shots like that, like, uh, or m- m- lines like Piper Laurie's character, Sarah, is this crazy emancipated woman for the day. And she's got so many great lines like, uh, you know, it's like, I'm a college girl. I go to, I go to college on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And Paul Newman's like, what do you do the other days? I drink. Uh Uh, (laughs) No, their whole courting scenes are really just crisp, real crisp. Yes. Yes. Um, But there's also like, this is a human tragedy because like the whole time, and that's the other thing. It's like, yeah, I, I I kept on trying to figure this film out. And I, at the halfway point, I kind of gave up. But like, it's like, oh, she's the hustler. She's emotionally hustling him. That's huh. not not true. But there's like everyone in this. The, what you what you understand is everyone in this film is a hustler of some sort. And someone's being hustled or is hustling someone yeah. else. Um, but it's a tragedy because, you know, when she begins a love affair with him and he's like very strong and she pushes him away, he's like, no, you're too hungry. Mm-hmm. And then something like, you know, Eddie, I'm uh, I forget exactly what she says. Oh, you know, I got troubles and I can tell you got troubles. We should really just kind of leave each other alone. Kind of like I like you too much to involve you in my hustling. Mm-hmm. And she but then they can't resist each other because they're also kind of weirdly perfect for each other. They perfectly understand. Yeah. Like they're both 
living outside the margins of what society deems acceptable for them to be doing. If um, only they could ha- play it straight long enough to understand that about each other, right? Yeah, yeah. And there's a whole bunch of like, just like, I remember, uh, spoilers here, we're going to start spoiling the shit out of it. Um, but like, there's this the, the, the point where the movie really made me, like at one point, Paul Newman slaps her. Yeah. Which was like a fucking moment. And then like, uh, when George C. Scott kind of worms his way into uh, uh, Paul Newman's character's life and just starts eating it from the inside out like a vial, like he drank a vial of acid, turning him against Sarah. Um, then Sarah, like uh, it's and, and and the movie kept going like even darker from where I was expecting it to go. Yeah. Um, you know, it's very tasteful for like Hollywood standards, like, you know, her. Uh, the eventual suicide is shot in a way that like you have to, you know, it's like a a child wouldn't understand why Paul Newman is so upset with what he's seeing in there because there's like just a spot of blood on the sink and that's it. And it's all in black and white. So there's no real blood. In 2020, the whole fucking bathroom floor would be red and it would be in vivid technicolor and you'd have the full horror of it. But uh, no, I love the way that um, scene is shot. I think I think it's it puts you really good in the moment with Paul Newman because you're not sure what happened there until you see the aftermath. But the film, like it's like the the whole first act is just this breathless thing where it's like, you know, uh, I thought like when he sits down with Minnesota fats and he's starting to shoot this game of pool, I'm like, well, this is going to be. You know, like he's going to get his ass whipped and then he's going to level up through the whole film with, a, and then he's going to come back and, and, and win for good. But like that first match, it's weird. It's almost like um, if you were watching Rocky and the final fight happens in the first act and then the climactic fight is just like a minor rehash of that first amazing fight. Yeah. Because this pool game, they start playing pool at 8 p.m., and they don't stop playing until four o'clock in the net. I think four o'clock the next after the next afternoon. Yeah, it's this weird Lamaze kind of endurance pool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, uh, it's I I don't know if that's a normal thing. I feel like it's not. You as a hustler, you're probably in and out pretty quick in these places, so as not to get found out. Um, but yeah, I mean, everybody knows what the score is here, right? because this is the level where nobody's being hustled this is just two professionals going at it for money um it's a prize fight but but they try it's hilarious because newman comes in there like oh who's that fast eddie felson guy who's he never heard of him right yeah like he's gonna try and hustle these guys but then it becomes clear you know they're just playing it at some point and there is that's the thing it's like it's never not a hustle because like yeah. Fats agrees to play for $100 a game which is a princely sum back in the day but the next time he comes in he wants $1000 a game cuz he's like you're I know you're you know I know you're dangerous now cuz you almost yeah. beat me. In fact the only reason you didn't beat me is because you're a loser. Uh that's the thing. I, 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 so why did Paul Newman Paul Newman comes up with that he rolls up into Ames he tells his manager I'm gonna win a. Th- I'm gonna win ten thousand dollars tonight. Hot damn! Can you imagine rolling out here at ten thousand dollars? Like his, that's his dream scenario, and he gets it in like the wee hours of the morning. But Fats, the Minnesota Fats won't concede the victory. Yeah, so it's like it's it's more about like, like ego and pride and domination of Fats than it is really about yeah. the money. 
I wonder if Fats knew that. Like, I maybe Fats is just better at drinking and staying up late. And he's yeah. like, uh, you know, like he's uh, this is a rope a dope like strategy that uh, if I just keep this guy on his feet long enough, he's going to tire before I do. And then I'll be able to win my money back. And it works um, out, yeah. But it's like, you know, that's the whole deal. And uh, there's a really heartbreaking scene where he has with Piper Laurie where he's talking about, like, I just want all my life. I felt like a loser. And I want to be a winner. Uh, you know, like it, it, there's like a I don't know, this quintessentially th- thing that I think most people can identify the idea of, um, you know, when you're in the zone and like you feel like you can't miss and like that's a high, yeah. like you know, did you 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 get a mastery of something or you're you're at a level where it's like just everything feels like suddenly easy and you just want to chase that high, um, but like her saying that like you are you know like Eddie you you are a winner. And you're winning in a way that like most men can't even conceive of, but it wasn't enough. Like he rolls into Ames with a fantasy amount that he's going to win from this guy, gets it, and he loses it because somewhere during the night, winning that money wasn't the important thing. It's getting fats to like roll over and say you're the best. Yeah, that it, he's it's chasing. It's, it's the same the same thing that uh, that Bert is looking for, right? In, in that moment, he's as bad as Bert. Um, Bert's looking yeah. to simply you can see over the course of the movie that once he gets fast Eddie under his thumb he wants to break him um, mm. and and he essentially wants to subjugate him and uh, be superior he gets off on the superiority of it um, of of the, the domination aspect and that's kind of where Eddie was at at the beginning of this movie and by the end he's he's you know come around and become a real winner by saying I don't need that anymore. That's not what defines me. So this is first game at four o'clock in the morning. They decide to up the ante to a thousand dollars a game and they go out and they send out for drinks because there's no bar here. So they send preacher out and he goes to a four o'clock in the morning gambling marathon, poker marathon and gets George C. Scott. What is George? Uh, I know what he becomes later. He becomes the the dark shadow of uh, Eddie's first mentor manager, who actually was a father figure to him, mm-hmm. um, and he should have stuck with him throughout the movie. You know, yeah. someone that genuinely cared for him. But what is George C. Scott in this film? Like, why did Preacher go get him? Is he's not Fats's money man? What is he? I had that same question. What is the relationship? And I. I gather that he is just a gambler, um, and he has it's like we this got fresh relation- blood in town. Yeah, like he's got this relationship with Fats because Fats is the best, and he knows he can reliably bet on Fats because he's got character. Um, but uh, beyond that, I don't know. I'm not sure why they go get him in this moment. There's a couple questions I had like that because I think this film is you know, telling a story like, like um, it's possible to watch breakfast at Tiffany's and not realize that. Uh, um, oh shit. Who's the star of that? Aubrey Hepburn. No, not out. Uh, is it Aubrey Hepburn? I've um, never seen it. I don't know. It's but the, 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 the female protagonist is a prostitute and it's entirely possible to watch that film and not realize it. Think maybe she hmm. thinks she's a wealthy socialite or whatever because the film is couched in like if you're watching it in contemporaneously you know exactly what they're going for. Yeah. But me as a guy who's, you know, watched movies gritty where like, you know, being a prostitute's not that big a deal and they just it's 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 just the thing. 
Like, you know, like even Pretty Woman doesn't like that's probably the most t- the tasteful I can think of in my generation. And it's still pretty clear that she's a working girl. Yeah. Um, Here's what's new and premium content for our club members. No lunch this week, as I'll be traveling on vacation, but get ready for next week when we have the rare, elusive, dare I say, premium lunch with Talitha and Aaron. And while you're waiting for the return of the king, don't forget May is the time to switch your Patreon tiers to make sure you maintain your full benefits by June. Stop by support.baldmove.com to check your Patreon levels to see the new benefits and decide which one is right for you. And finally, tickets are now on sale for Badass Fest 6. Come meet us live and in person, watch a mystery badass film with us, and then hear us record the podcast right there in front of you in a theater packed with Bald Move fans. Get your details and your tickets at baldmove.com slash live. If you want more Bald Move in your life, head over to support.baldmove.com right now to find out how you can get tons of bonus audio and video content plus ad-free feeds. What is Sarah doing on Tuesdays and Thursdays? Because she's not going to college, I don't think. Um, does she have another man who's that she's like, you know, spends those days with? Or like, I, 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 I know something that you're supposed to understand that why that she's got some other whole side hustle going on. That's something along those lines. But I, I couldn't quite put my finger on what exactly the nature of it is because I don't, I don't have the 1960s bullshit translator. Yeah, hand. maybe that's it. Um, the movie I think is intentionally vague. She never, you know, she makes up stories about, um, a lot of things and I'm not sure I can separate the fact from the fiction. At some point she says, look, it's my dad who sends me all this money. Um, and he does it basically to just keep me out of his life because he never liked me. Um, but she's in that, in that story where she's coming clean. She also mentions that she's not really like that. This is every time another man lives, leads, leaves her, or she outgrows it, she essentially comes up with another fiction to tell the net. So it's right. like, is she now like spinning the origin story of the new version of her persona? And it's, I've only seen the movie once. Like I was left with a lot of questions like that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's almost like uh, if you'd seen a movie called the hustler that was based on Sarah and Paul Newman is just yeah. like, where are you go make your money, Eddie? Uh, you know, I go and shoot some pool. Like, yeah, yeah, that's kind of true. But like what uh-huh. it's, it doesn't tell the whole story of what their deal is. Uh, so yeah, I think that's definitely intentional. Um, it's supposed to be muddy. It's supposed to be like, she is maybe up to some game. She's maybe not, you don't really know as an audience, uh, at least, you know, I don't know as an audience, maybe in 61, everybody knew it was just unspoken, but yeah, I, I think like they're both hustling and they're just trying to show the parallels there. I, uh, there's a couple of things I also liked. Like there's the scene of him where he like has pissed off. His, well, he hasn't pissed off. He just walked out on his old manager and he's trying to come up with another bankroll to get, you know, Minnesota fats back on, on the line. And uh, he plays at this just like, you can tell this neighborhood bar is like just the worst kind of like um, smoky filled shithole pool junkie place. Mm-hmm. And I have a bar in my neighborhood called the arena. That's exactly like this. Like no vertical surfaces made out of the same constructed material. Like nice. the floors and the ceilings don't meet at the same angles. There's a whole bunch of bizarre altitude changes. The floor nice. plan makes So who the hell knows. Um, but uh, there, there's another thing that, so that, 
and here's where like old Hollywood, the scene of them breaking his thumbs was so wildly done that I'm like, did they rape him with a pool stick? Like, what the hell happened? This is such a bizarre. Perf- so, like, until he showed up with the next scene with his hands and these enormous cat. Oh no! Before that, he had these like foam rubber hands, all kind of swollen and mangled. It's like, oh, oh look yeah. what they've done to my thumbs! Like, I had no idea. It's like they broke the man's thumbs. Holy shit! What the- what they do to this guy? Yeah, um, yeah, broke his thumbs. Can't play pool with broken thumbs. No, uh, no, nah, nah. fucks up your arch too. Apparently, even after it heals. Yeah, gotta learn how to learn how to stroke all over again. Um, For sure. But there again, it's like he that 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 that's the same. They tell this story like three times in different ways. Like here's again, like this guy was winning, but winning wasn't enough. He had to let the other guy know how much he'd fucked him over, um, and that's that was his gift, right? Like Paul Newman's gift was he's good looking and charming, and he can play the like, oh gosh, I guess I just got lucky so well that people buy it, and he had them. And then he had to let them know, like, actually, you got beat by a professional pool shark. And then they broke. That's the thing. Like, I don't understand the, the this this lawless nature of the pool, like where you're just trying to win money and like, a certain amount of lies and deception are OK. But like, what kind of world can exist if you beat the local pro bad? And if you beat the local pro, they break your your their, your thumbs. Yeah. Like. You're pool sharking. I just a better pool shark. You're going to break my thumbs. Like, why would anyone come over there and play pool? No, it, it does seem I, shitty. It's it's like, and, and I think this is why this is one of the seedier joints, you know, like you go to yeah. Ames, that stuff is expected and you're not going to get your thumbs broken unless you personally attack George C. Scott. Uh, Which, but yeah, that's what I, I thought that was the difference between like some place like Ames and these two bit things. But then again, at the end, George C. Scott threatens to break the guy, you know, to, to break him all over again um, because he didn't. Like, did, I don't know. But then I also wondered if that actually would have happened. Like, no, if that he last had scene order- is brilliant. I, I love that last scene where Paul Newman, you know, gives his self-righteous speech about uh, how Bert is just, you know, a, a broken, hollow person. He's a loser, um, born loser. and And that whole time, it's like the power dynamic there is so intricate. And so interesting because um, Paul Newman's coming in there into a, a den of thieves, calling mm-hmm. out the thieves and stealing from them, you know? Yeah. Um, and yet he somehow comes out of that. feel. You feel like he's almost invincible in that scene mm-hmm. just just by the sheer righteousness of his cause. Right. And, and the lumps yeah. he's taken along the way and the ability to to bear those all lay those all bare in front of his abuser, um, uh-huh. it it's a fascinating power dynamic in that final scene and the you know the capper with with him and Fats like showing a bit of respect for their their games to each other is just I I love that final scene it's so good. The director Robert Rosin hired a bunch of like actual nightclub toughs and thugs and yeah. like collectors to play the guys that are like surrounding Newman. And I think that's another place where the ambig- ambiguity. You're right. He comes in as an audience member. He comes in there the head of righteous theme, and I think he's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. But like, I, I it was a question in my mind. Like, if George C. Scott had said, "Fuck this," you know what? I want my fifty percent. Break this guy's legs. Yeah. I wasn't sure if 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 his moral weight would protect him because I, I could tell the fats wouldn't like it, 
But I don't think Fats would also like the because there's a point where the camera points over to Fats, and you can tell that like he thinks this is unseemly, but also he's not going to open his mouth or get up or say anything, and he could have probably. And it's just a war of the wills between George C. Scott and and uh, Paul Newman, and like they're both kind of like you know like you know like. uh, it's like, hey, if your boys beat me up, they better kill me because if they don't, I'm gonna come back and murder you. Uh, it's it's kind of a little bit of a, a hustle within the hustle or on top of the hustle, and I really yeah. liked it because again, I, I I have no idea what would have happened in that room if George C. Scott like would that have broken George C. Scott? Like maybe they would break his arms, but then everybody, you know, he would he would lose his mystique, you know. Right. Um, yeah, then he as, just becomes this, another thug. Exactly. He's no longer someone to respect or you can trust him with your bankroll or whatever. He, he kind of breaks his uh, whole game, too. Uh, it's And in that scene, I get the impression and I wish they had made this a little bit clearer, the relationship between Fats and Bert, because, yeah, I, I'm a little confused in that scene as to what is going on in Fats head. I, I wish I I understood if this was like a sadness from a man who is under the thumb of Bert um, and and deeply understands both the danger and the despair um, that Fast Eddie is in in that moment. Uh, Or if this is a man who just simply wants to stay out of the situation that he sees developing uh, because he doesn't have a relationship, like a business relationship or, you know, a sort of uh, like oppressor-oppressed relationship with this guy. Yeah, he does feel kind of like a, a bit of a free agent. Um, you know, he's benefiting yeah, from from this in, this envi- environment, and he doesn't want to like throw his weight, no pun intended, on either side of it. Um, yeah, but I'm just not sure if that's what I'm supposed to be thinking about him in that moment, or if I'm supposed to understand the relationship between the two. Hmm. Yeah, I I don't know. Um, I there's the the I guess the the one flaw that I have in this movie and it's it's um it's it's more of a, a modernized type of flaw is it does indulge in the stereotype of a woman has to suffer a maximum consequence as a as a turning point in the male character's uh, life yeah like she's essentially a teachable like uh, he gets all of his character in the the depths that she is forced to fall because of George C Scott putting the wedge between them. And he's like, I had to lose everything until I got tired of losing. And, you know, it's it's all about her life. And that's, uh, you know, there's a reason that's a, a trope that people are kind of moving away from. Sure. Not because it's necessarily offensive. It's just like, Jesus Christ, I've seen it in, at, you know, nine out of ten action films. Uh, the other one out of ten is the daughter instead of the wife or girlfriend. <laughs> um but like that's yeah. the, the one thing that doesn't quite work on on but everything else is like you know there's terrible things happening but like it feels like uh, you know uh, Sarah I feel really bad for her but she feels like that like if there's that kind of a free spirited woman uh with this like kind of checkered past in 1961 it probably looked like that and Paul Newman looks like and and acts like the type of character with his background in that time period as well I have no idea because I there's a lot of questions I have of like I always wonder why people fall for hustles and pool because it just feels like you would be like um, on maximum guard, you know, like anytime someone shows up and starts drinking and and has this old story about because they even lampooned this in that stupid uh, uh, Farley Brothers film Kingpin, you know, like, uh, oh, you got your paycheck and it w- 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 like Bill Murray does a clumsy version of this and he ends up getting his 
uh, Woody Harrelson ends up getting his his hands ran through the ball return or whatever. Yeah. Like anytime someone comes in, starts drinking and saying he's got a commission check, you just you just put your hand on your wallet and back away, right? Sure. Like how? I like mean, you do it is, in an arcade, a, right? <laughs> like, I mean, I guess, I guess there's a sucker born every day. Maybe that's the yeah. thing. Is like you're relying on a steady supply of marks or people that are like overconfident in their own skills or something like that. I maybe, but like, I just, I don't understand how the hustle works. But it, it kind of works in a science fiction way that like this. This world they put in is so consistent and believable and just rock solid and who inhabits it and what it looks like that you just believe that there's places where this that's just the way it works, man. It's this weird fucking culture that you can't understand because you're not in it, but it has internally consistent rules that if you follow, you get this outcome. And if you don't, you get that other outcome. But uh, my God, like uh, that George C. Scott, like gave me some serious, like talented Mr. Ripley chills. Like when you really understand the depths of his immorality yeah. and lack of character. Th- those uh, scenes where it, he's going at it with uh, with uh, Piper Laurie, with uh, Sarah, yeah, Sarah are, uh-huh. are outstanding. Like I, I think like George C. Scott is so amazing as this like sleazeball uh, gambler. Piper the veneer Laurie, of respectability, yeah. Um, she, she's maybe the stagiest of all the actors. I feel. Um, huh. In, I would in, say that the uh, the father figure mentor was clearly he's the old school actor. He's saying his lines. He's saying it. Okay. There's no yeah. there's no method in his acting at all. He's just fair. He's just the guy saying lines, man. I mean, she's definitely method acting, but there's something a little like slightly artificial. Um, maybe less mm. uh, easy about the role, but the. the the character is super and look i haven't seen a lot of 60s movies and so i don't and i wasn't alive during the 60s so i don't know much about like is this a pretty standard role for a woman to have um is is there in these movies a lot of uh sort of moral arguments that they're presenting to male Mm -hmm. characters um who are Mm -hmm. really gross but she's able to do that in these scenes in such a believable way. Like she is as formidable a character as, as Bert is. Um, and those, those hotel room scenes are in my opinion, great. Um, when she's just correctly identifying like exactly what he's trying to do with Eddie and how disgusting it is. And just how, how he's not equipped to really deal with her. Mm Hmm. And she's tired of playing the game. She's found someone that she thought she could be herself around. And then turns out that, you know, she's not as important to him as she thought, or at least that's what the shakes out. It's funny because there's a lot, there's shades of like Jones character from Mad Men in the performance, except for like, I think Joan just leaves. Uh She doesn't kill herself in a motel bathroom after taking. I was, was, what, because, you know, she's doing the lipstick of like, uh, I forget what it is. It's like damaged, perverted something. And I'm like, like this is like a sick Instagram shot, <laughs> right? right. Uh, but I thought, I, and I thought she's just going to bounce like with George yeah. C. Scott's money and leave. But like you know, her dot, like, and I, I feel like that's where the Mad Men thing, like Joan would have uh, you know gotten up, taken the money, and then founded her fucking ad agency. That's how it would have well, gone. See, and so, if you told the story nowadays, but yeah, and this like once she loses her chance at like respectability or. Uh, disrespectable, disrespected respectability. Like I'm with a person that understands me and is on the same wavelength and can love me for who I am. She kills herself. Um, well, I, I thought she was. So, so the finality of it, I thought, is what is important here. Because if she just bounces, 
George C. Scott spins this and says, oh, yeah, you know, she wasn't here when I got back. And uh, that's she, true. She was never good for you anyway. She was clearly hustling you. Look at this. Her killing herself in his bathroom. Oh, God. Yes. Just puts yeah, a stamp that- on this that says this man is is bad for you. He's driven everything good out of your life. And this is the this is it. Like, you can't look away from that now. Um, there, there's something right. she's doing for the character of Fast Eddie in that moment, and you know it's it's a trope, but whatever. And and everything that that leads up to that is paced so well. Like I remember thinking, like Paul Newman goes to the bellboy and is like, you know, where's the key to my room? And he's got like, like you know, like giving him significant looks and stuff. I'm like, what the hell? Like, see, he's going to catch him in the act, like in bed, right? And right. then you get up there and you see some dudes in suits standing outside, and I'm like, oh. And then there's police officers. I'm like, ah. And then they're interviewing George C. Scott. And like the energy, the negative, dark energy just keeps building, keeps building. You're right. They do get a lot of juice from that. And there's a reason this shit is a trope because it works so well. Everyone wants to go there, you know? For sure. Like, fuck, you know, you want, you want, you want that kind of juice and, and that emotion in your movies. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then like I thought the the other thing like the the final the final like twenty minutes of this movie is just like relentless. Like when he comes in there with a showdown at Fats, and they don't really fuck around with like there's no marathon forty eight hour pool session. He just like dispatches them, and he he wins the money, and he goes to leave, and George C. Scott just gets up and screams, "Where's my money?" Mm-hmm. And I'm like, F- and it's because I thought the movie was over, and then like, oh shit, there's this whole thing. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's, it's really... an excellent climax to this film, and then it's just out. Yep. You know, he gives his his speech, mm-hmm. and the thing just ends. He walks out. It's done. Yeah, uh, um, and in the fashion of I, these old movies, there's no credits at the end. It's just movies over. The end. I literally says the end. Um, well, because they do all the credits up front. That was the, right. the the charm of doing it that way. You could just like like you know, boom. The the movie's done. Uh, and I felt like that worked wa- for me in this because it got me in the the hustler mindset, you know, like it's showing yeah. all these shots of these these really nice pool shots. It's showing the, the atmosphere around the city and the drinking and the smoking and everything that comes with that. It's life. weird, though, because uh, I was reading uh, Ebert. He didn't have a contemporaneous review of this movie, obviously, because mm-hmm. it's it's old. But he had a great movie review and he said that this is. The reverse structure of most American kind of like hyper masculine f- films in that the hero overcomes not by winning, but by by giving in. I don't know that I agree with that assessment. In what way, like if he just wa- if he had just gone to Ames and called out George C. Scott and walked out without winning the game and the money and all that stuff and just been like, you know what? Fuck you and broke his stick and threw it in the corner and just walked out. But he it's a hero. It's a, it's a hero's arc. He, he won the thing that he wanted to do at great cost and sacrifice. And he grew up and wised up and, you know, got tired of, like you said, losing, but like he didn't give in. I thought that was wild. Um, I didn't agree with his take at all. Um, yeah, I'm struggling to figure out what he means by that. Yeah. Like maybe emotionally or in some kind of Zen Buddhist way. I thought, um, also I thought that, um, this is a great film, so I'm like, oh wow, Robert Rosin. I've never heard of him. I've heard of all the King's Men, and that like was a monster at the Oscars back in the 50s. 
Um, and he's got, and I went to look at all the films. Like I figured I'd make, I'd see a bunch of films of his that he had made. Uh, this guy was a member of the American communist party and was blacklisted from Hollywood throughout the, almost the entire fifties. There's this huge hole in his career where he didn't make any film. And then he made this film, uh, it, it, as, as you mentioned in the pre podcast, it got its ass kicked at the Oscars. It got nominated for almost everything. Yeah. Got its ass kicked by West side story. Fair yeah. enough. I, yeah, uh, and then he, that story. he made he made one more film and was so disillusioned by the process of that that he gave up filmmaking forever and never never went behind the the, the camera again. Wow. And I'm like, God damn, a tragedy. It's like Muhammad Ali. Yeah. You know, the US government put him put him in prison for the prime of his fucking career, uh, for for the temerity of saying that the war in Vietnam is immoral. Yeah, like I said, uh, I, I just thought, God damn, that uh, what what a what a tragic backstory to this already bleak tragic backstory that this was essentially his final film that 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 was was anything, and who knows how how many more films he had in him that had he not gotten gotten blacklisted, and and also it wasn't for necessarily his involvement in the Communist Party, but like when he he refused to give up names and uh, when. Uh, uh, they called him up uh, in all the Red Scare hearings. He just re- he took his pled the fifth as his right as an American citizen, and uh, they ran him out of town for it. Hmm. It's fucking crazy. So, yeah, uh, yeah that sucks. I, I, I will say I do like, want to see all the King's Men because I've never seen it, and I hear it's amazing. I haven't either. Uh, I, I haven't seen many movies from this era, but I, yeah. I, I was impressed by the cinematography in this, and it did win the Oscar for that. There were, there were two Oscars that it won. One was for cinematography. One was for, was for art direction, both black and white, uh, mm-hmm. versions of that. And I, I take that to mean that they also had the color, uh, versions of those awards, which seems strange to me, but okay. Um, Oh, but yeah, it's a, at this kind of transitional period in Hollywood, I, I wonder if it's kind of like, uh, you know, silent versus talky, like, did you have separate awards for that? Or kind of like now yeah. it's like they have animated versus best and foreign written that that's starting to become a as as uh as things are more and more global and as like uh animated films are more and more adult like uh-huh yeah they, they what, have changed the, the awards that they give out from time to time mm-hmm. over the years have to uh but yeah i i i just recall seeing a lot of shots that were really cool like one of the like the screenshot that i'm going to be using for this podcast is a low shot at the end of the table with both Jackie Gleason and Paul Newman looking down at uh, t- taking their, their lagging shots to see who goes first. Uh, very cool shot. Very artfully done at a time when I like now that shot is just like commonplace and it's mm-hmm. run of the mill. But back then I imagine it was something special. Well, they use that language as I, I read an essay about this film and I want to go back and rewatch to see how much I pick out the second time. Kind of like when I first saw Parasite, the movie, and I'm like, man, this is an amazing film. And then I read a visual thing that showed like all the different like vertical and, and horizontal like planes and lines that are crossed in the film, like junction, like corners of a windows and like lines in the street and uh, where, where characters cross lines. I'm like, oh my God, this is like on visual storytelling on a whole other level. I guess the cinematographer deliberately framed like shots where like Robert uh, uh, um, uh, Newman is shot from like above mm-hmm. 
and where you're looking down on him when he's in a morally low position and then he shot down low looking up at him when he's in a morally like a, a upwards trajectory and then there's like they use that like altitude of the film when they're shooting those those pool scenes to suggest where he's at and I'm like I just I don't know if that even like I, I don't know if that works on a subconscious level I kind of feel like it does but it's yeah. almost like it does it doesn't have to be it's like one of those things I think that's um e- that stuff you pick up as you appreciate film more and more. Like it, it's got like learning English, you know, you can baby talk at the beginning and you can, you know, say, you know, I, I, I want cookie or me thirsty or me sleepy. And then you can perform more and more complex ideas and understand more and more complex ideas. And it's stuff like that. It's like, I don't know if it works on a subconscious level. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. The spatial stuff, but it's another thing. It's another way to appreciate the storytelling and the, the detail and the artistry. That's what it is. Artistry, yeah. like the composition shots at that has nothing to do with the plot. It's just the, 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 the artistry of it. And uh, a lot of these old films, you know, especially since they uh, those techniques weren't like in a book that you could just study. Right. It's just like someone coming up like, what can I do to to underline what the director and the, the writer is trying to do here? Oh, I know I'll change the uh, altitude of the shot or whatever. Like I, that's the thing I think is really rewarding about seeing some of these old ass movies is like what are the techniques that every film does nowadays, but were like visionary at the time. Right. You know? Yeah. So, uh, anything else to say about the hustler? Are we, are, is, have we hustled it out? Uh, I, I did want to put some perspective on the sums of money, the stakes that they're playing for here. Cause you mentioned in passing the 10 bucks would be a fair bit of money nowadays. It's, it's something on the order of about $86. And when you extrapolate, to the games that they play later. And I like how the stakes are raised throughout the film, both, you know, sure. emotionally and monetarily. By the end, they're playing for, they start at $1,000 and they get up to $3,000 a game. And $3,000 in today's money is about $26,000 per game that they're playing for. I was thinking that, yeah, well, when he's taking wanting to win $10,000, he's winning like 100000 He's winning three years pay. Yeah. Uh, 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 back in the day, like in a single night, and yet he still feels like a loser. Right. Yeah, it's, it's a uh, huge amount of money. The stakes are enormously high. Uh, yeah, I was surprised by they that. do. They do play a lot about like these cycles of addiction and need and being empty, and they they do a lot of interesting things because like her, uh, you know, uh, Paul Newman and and uh, Piper Laurie are in kind of like a, a locked in dance that uh, like at some points like some of them are. They're they're healthy at sometimes, and the other person's not. Um, and then they, one of them will do something to sabotage a good time that the other is having. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them get in their feelings when they don't need to. Uh, it's yeah. This hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch this a couple more times for sure. For yeah. sure. Um, Cecily came in like halfway through the movie when like a particularly good uh, Sarah versus Fast Eddie scene, and she's like, "Oh my god, I need to. I want to because like yeah, this." It's a great, it's, it's, it's a really great, uh, role for a woman back in the day. I'd imagine. I think so, yeah. Um, all right, well that'll do it for the hustlers. Uh, next week's movie is going to be a 180 degree departure from this one. S- Scott Pilgrim versus, versus the world. Yeah. Very colorful, very profane. Uh, but also has a lot of themes about self-discovery and finding out who you are and being happy with it. So maybe it's a little bit more in common with the hustler than I imagine. And, you know, I guess the hustler was very seedy and kind of, you know, grimy and, uh, unsavory. If you, if you could, if you did, could decode 
the the parlance of the day. So yeah, we're gonna be doing Scott Pilgrim's the tenth year anniversary. Um, I love this film. It was tragically unappreciated at the box office in its day, and I still don't think people give it its due. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, Ed- Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright. Yep. Yeah. Um, not in this Coronado trilogy. It's like one of his off, but like it's it's a really really good film that uh, I immediately loved and just no one went out to see it. I don't understand why. We're going to be giving it a little bit of love on its 10th anniversary. That sounds like a good idea uh, or good time to you. Check it out and join us for the conversation next week. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.